have your Bibles, you can open up to the Gospel of Luke. And while you're doing that, I want to ask, uh, just throw this out there. Um, have you ever been to an event where you were told not to invite someone? Right? We all have to some degree. Maybe you go to a wedding and they say, don't bring your kids. Um, I've been there. Um, you Maybe you've gone somewhere and they say, bring a plus one, but you bring like plus five. Um, so you're not supposed to do that either. But we've all been to something where you're not supposed to bring a friend. Right. Or maybe you are supposed to bring a friend. Um, and I was thinking about this. You know, you go to these these events and you, you end up going and you bring a friend. And they're like, oh, what, that's kind of awkward. What are you doing bringing like four different people? Um, and, and that's that's a reality we face here. But the truth is, with it comes to the kingdom of God, that's never the case. There's never not enough room for more in the family of God or the kingdom of God. There's never a thing that says, don't bring someone to Jesus. Heaven is waiting for sinners to come. Heaven is begging for sinners to come in a sense. God has done everything that sinners could come. But the question we have to ask ourselves today is, will you bring a friend? Will you bring a friend, right? You're allowed this time. You don't have to have somebody say you can't bring for you are allowed. In fact, I would say this: you are even commanded as a, as a follower of Jesus to bring the lost in, to bring a friend to Jesus. And I don't just mean going around just jamming the gospel everywhere and yelling at people. I mean bring a friend, be a friend, and bring a friend. And so today, what I want to talk to us about is I want to encourage us that we would be those type of Christians. That we would be a Christian that understand there's no shortage of invites to heaven and that we are the instruments in which God will use. And so to ask us again the question, will you bring a friend to Jesus? I pray so today. Um, go to um, Luke chapter 5. We're going to read verses 17 through 26. And we are going to read also the account, some of the account in Matthew and some of... Uh, I probably won't read the account of Mark, but this account or this story is a very familiar story you've heard before. It's in three different gospels, and so there's each one of them have a little bit different detail, not too much, but each one of them say a little bit different things. And so I want to read them just so that we know what exactly each one is saying um, and some of the details that are going to come important as we look into this passage today. So verse 17, I believe it is. On those days, on one of those days as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing a, a bed, bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies, who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, why do you question in your hearts, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he, had been, what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. And amazement seized them all. And they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things. Turn to the Gospel of Matthew. Go to chapter 9. And we'll read a little bit more around this story. Just a few more details. That, a little bit less details, but actually a, few, a couple of ones that aren't in the account of Luke that are important here. Verse 1, he get into a boat, he crossed over, he came to his own city, and behold, some of the people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, take heart. And I want you to emphasize that. Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And, and continuing the rest of the story, 
It's this, well, somewhat of the same material here, but he says again, Behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, This man is blaspheming. And Jesus speaks to them, and he says that the Son of Man has the authority to forgive. Um, the Gospel of Mark tells us, and we don't, you don't have to turn there, but the Gospel of Mark tells us that there were four friends in this story. And so when you look at this story, what you find is you, it's a story we've all, all grown up hearing, right? I love, I love Bible stories that you grew up as a kid hearing, and you kind of tuck away like, Oh, I, I've heard that story before. And then when you dive into the Bible and you dive into the Word of God, you're like, there was so much more to that story than I thought, right? And you kind of just, you feel like you grew up in church and so you know these things. But there's so much to this. And this is a story we've all heard so many times in our lives where we've heard about these men who bring their friend to Jesus and how God, Jesus deals with the Pharisees in this moment. Um, but one of the things that when I was looking at this story that just stood out to me was really the characters of the friends, right? If we're talking about will you bring a friend today, um, bring a friend to Jesus or bring a friend, um, I want to look at the friends today. Now we know the hero of the story is Jesus, right? He's the hero. He's the hero of the whole Bible. He's the character that everything points to and everything focuses on, right? And so we don't want to lose sight of that. But the truth is, is that there's multiple characters throughout this story, right? You see multiple characters come to play. You see the paralytic man, the man who's paralyzed. You see the friends, you see Pharisees, you see scribes, and you see Jesus. And then you see the crowd. So you see multiple different characters in the story. And each one of them are something that you can look into and understand about. Um, but for today's sake, I just want to look at some simple truths or observations that just that jumped out to me from this passage. And so the first thing that I want to point out today is really this, the observation of this, the condition of the man. And really the condition of the paralyzed man. Because right, we have these different characters, and the first character we can look at very clearly is the man who's paralyzed. And when you look at this man, right, it says very clearly, he's obviously paralyzed. And in one sense, you could say he's physically bankrupt. I don't mean financially bankrupt, I mean physically bankrupt. He can't help himself. He's pretty hopeless, most likely. Um, he lives a life that is probably very, uh, very low quality of life. I mean, people who are paralyzed in America today, the quality of life isn't the same as, as what we have, right? And you can imagine even then, they didn't have nearly what we have today as far as the quality of life goes. And so you see this person who really he can't help himself at all, right? He, he could not even lift his hand to get to Jesus. He could not even begin to pull his knee up to take a step. There's nothing this man can do in his physical ability. And so you see this man is physically bankrupt. He's helpless. And in one sense, I would say he's probably very hopeless. He's probably filled with great discouragement. He's probably a man who's filled with like, I have no hope. You know, this is what will be my life forever. This is what I am and so forth. And so this discouragement. So you see very clearly the condition of the man is one who's physically bankrupt. But I would also say that he's spiritually bankrupt. Because when you look at the passage, what does Jesus deal with right away? He doesn't deal with his physical sickness. The first thing he deals with is his sins. And he actually says to them, man, take heart or be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven. In other words, this man very likely had a sorrow over his own condition of sin. Brokenness in his life. And the truth is, is that what this man represents is he really represents a picture of many people in this world. They cannot help themselves. They couldn't get to God if they wanted to. They can't do it. When you're spiritually dead, you cannot crawl yourself to God. That's the, that's the Bible story. We could not get to God. God came to us, right? That's the story of the Bible. And so when you look at this man, the first thing that you really understand is that this man is somebody who is spiritually bankrupt, who's physically bankrupt, who's broken, who has no hope, who is a life that's depraved in many ways and doesn't have the quality of life. And this condition of man is really a picture of how many people that we know, and I would say our friends, are at 
that state. Lost people that you have friendships with, you know, people at work, people on your sports team, people, you know, the hobbies that you go to, wherever it might be, this is the condition of many men. Ephesians 2, 1 says this, that you were dead in your trespasses in sin. And he's speaking to believers there. But there was a time, and there is, and all men who are not a believer, they are dead. They're like this paralyzed man in the sense, like he had still some obviously breathing life. But as far as you could look spiritually, there was really no life to this man whatsoever. So he's downcast, broken, cannot help himself, nothing can do, and it's a, it's a sad, sorrowful situation, right? And so you just, that, that sets the scene for us to understand what is taking place. You find a man who is just absolutely, utterly helpless. And then you continue when you read this story, and you look at it, you see, and behold, in verse 18, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed. And the thing you see here is you see this. A man that was paralyzed, men were bringing him. The second observation that I was looking at in this passage was simply this, is that you saw the condition of the man that was physically bankrupt, spiritually bankrupt, broken, um, even a sense of the truth is a picture, a spiritual picture of how so many people are, and this is the severity of this man's condition, but his friends were concerned with it. They were concerned, right? They actually, you look at it right there, these people were his friends. They had a relationship with this man, they had some friendship with this man, and they were concerned about this man. You look at this passage, and in Mark, one of the things it says, is it says that the friends, when they looked at the man, or when they brought the man, it says that they came with him, they carried him, and they were bringing him. And I think we would all sit here and say, I'm concerned about the lost. To a degree, I would say there's some truth to that. But we would all say we're, carried, we're concerned about the loss. But what you see from this passage is that what true biblical concern is, is that it is action. They came with the man, they carried the man, and they were bringing the man. To be biblically concerned is to do something. To say I'm concerned, but not to do anything, not to lift a hand when you see something. They understood the severity of their friend's state. They understood the brokenness of this man. And so they had such concern in their life that it moved them to action. And I think that's what we have to look at in even our own lives. Like, do we have true biblical concern today for lost people? Or, and, and we all find ourselves in this boat, myself included, where it's easy to say, I'm, I, I'm not really concerned, but I do do evangelism, and I check the box off. True biblical concern is not saying, I witness to somebody once a week, I'm good for the week. True biblical concern is saying, I'm broken for the state of these people around me. I see their condition. And what is their condition? Spiritually dead, but not only that, what is their condition? Their condition is headed for hell. And I was talking to the youth this morning. They, we were doing a Q&A for youth group, and they were asking for Sunday school, and they were asking about heaven and hell. And we were talking about hell, and I was just thinking through this. You know, we as Christians, we really don't like to think about hell. We don't like the reality of hell, even as Christians, right? Because it's scary, and it is, it is sad, and it is horrible, but it's one of the most impactful things I think Christians actually should consider, Because when you actually see the severity of the lost person's state, the condition of their state, you understand that it is not just, oh, they have a bad life or they're in poverty or whatever. But no, their their condition is doomed and damned to hell. That's the reality of it. Scripture makes it very clear that every man apart from Jesus Christ is headed to that place. Eternal punishment, right? That they will go there. The the wicked will go down to the realm of the dead and all the nations that reject God will head that direction. 
Thessalonians says they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of God and from the glory of his might. And, and I know we don't like, but just, just let it affect you. It's biblical. It's the Bible. And so we would tuck that away and almost think it's not a big deal. And, you know, I, I was sitting there this morning. I, I, my, I was up this morning and I was here praying and we were with Andrew and we got a text and it said, uh, my mother-in-law's mother passed away today. And we knew there was some possibility of this over the last week. She got sick and she died, but we didn't expect it to happen today or anything. And she died. And I sat there and I sat in the reality that she's in hell. And we don't like saying that when people die. We like to say they're a good person. But the reality is she chose to reject God. She did. My mother-in-law did everything she knew to try to help her to Jesus. But she refused to come. She refused to receive Jesus for her Savior. She wanted to be a good person in many ways. She trusted in her works, y'all. And the thought of that, and it, it hits home. And it should be something that we actually consider. And so what you see from these men is that they were so concerned for the state of their friend. And this was just their paralyzed state. I just ask us the question, are we concerned for the state of our lost friends? That we have biblical concern, which is action. It's not just sitting back. It's not just saying, well, I'm a Christian. They can watch me from afar. But it's really action oriented. I was reading this and they have a poll that says that 24% of uh, Americans say that they are born again. Now, that number may be uh, maybe less than that, but 24% of American people say that they are born again, evangelical born again, right? And I was thinking about, so basically, if, if you had four people, every fourth person, right, would be born again. And so you would have three people in a row that were doomed for hell. And I was considering this, and I was just imagining if you were to sit in your workplace or sit in the place that you enjoy your coffee or your hobby or wherever you go or where you find your friendships that maybe are worth lost people, or even if you just went to go sit on a bench in the mall and you looked and you could look out and you could say, and you, and you actually visualize this, this truth, hell, 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 heaven, hell, 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 heaven, hell, 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 heaven. That's the reality. The reality is that there's many people doomed, the severity of it, that are doomed towards eternal punishment. That Noah just even referenced to me a few minutes ago, thinking about this, that they, they will have bodies that will be able to be eaten by worms for eternity. And I pray to God that that actually stirs up biblical concern. Biblical concern that says, I want to come, I want, I'm going to bring, I'm going to carry, I'm going to help, I'm going to do whatever is necessary. And the truth is, is I could say this, but the biblical example of this is God himself. And if we are his followers, we are his disciples, and we are people that he has commissioned into the earth, and this is God's character, right? God's nature, who he is, and we are his children, he begins to work this in us, and we need to receive this, and it ought to be our life. This is what God did. The gospel itself is that, for God so loved the world, right? That he gave his only begotten son, whosoever believed in him received eternal life. It is simply this, God was so concerned with his creation. He was so in love with his creation that he did not want us to be separated from all of eternity. And so he did something. He did biblical concern. Biblical love is action oriented. The gospel, it's actually moving in that direction. And I just, I just ask us the question, where is our concern today? Is our concern about our 401k? 
Is our concern about the economy? Is our concern about our education? Is our concern about our hobbies? Is our concern about the things that we love more? Or do we have a true concern for lost people? And look, I know that this isn't fun sometimes to hear, but it is biblical truth that we have to let the Bible um, impact us. We have to. Because why are we here? Truthfully, why are we here? Why did God leave us? To preach the gospel. To make disciples. To see people come to know what it means to live in a relationship with God. Because I, I understand like there's going to come a day when we're going to have complete intimacy with God. No restraint from our sin or the flesh that we have. There's going to be none of that. But if God wanted that right away, he would have just done this. But he left us here so that you and I could actually be gospel people that spread the good news that declare the word of god and have biblical concern for people and that's what these friends did they had a concern for the state of their friend they understood it and they were willing to do what was necessary they didn't just check a box a weekly box and we ought to not just check a weekly box but we ought to be people that have biblical concern for our friends and you know sometimes when you hear things like this especially if you're a stay-at-home mom or you're somebody who's like i I don't get out i don't see lost people very much um, your children will do your children will do. Have a biblical concern for your children, right? And I think most of you mothers do, but they will do. Do whatever, right? Love them. Help them. Do it all, whatever it takes. And so the third thing that you see, you see first the condition of the man, the concern of the friends, but then you see the determination of the friends, right? You look at this passage. What does it say? It says that they, he, they brought these friends. They were carrying him. Um, when you look at this passage, it talks about how they ripped the roof off. So they must have got on top of the stairs. Uh, all of these sort of things. They dug it up. Um, one of the things that you see here in the passage talks about how they came, right? People came. We don't know how far these people came from. I don't think it was right down the road. I don't think it was 20 feet. Why? Because they weren't the first ones there, right? They're crowded. They can't get in. So most likely... These people probably didn't come from like a, a, a two-minute walk. It was probably quite a journey. It was probably quite a trek. It was probably quite a difficult path. But there was a determination in these men. They were willing to carry their friend to Jesus. They were willing to do the work to help people come to know Jesus. They took it on. They took what Jesus had for them. And so they carried their friends. They brought them up. They carried their friend. They brought him up the stairs. They traveled, whatever it might be. They ripped off a roof. They lowered him down. If you've ever tried to lower down dead weight, it's not easy. But not only that, you see the determinant of, of the friends in this is that when they get there, what does it say? House is crowded. People, they can't get in. And you can you imagine just like you're trying to get in and you can't and you've got the situation. And, and they look, they still understand the severity of the matter. And they're trying to get their friend in. They can't. And you can just imagine the people. I don't know what the people were like if they're like, no, wait your turn. It's our turn or whatever it might be. But they were not able to get this man in. And then you see true biblical determination. A resolve that says we will do whatever it takes. And they climb the stairs and they dig. And so you see they, there's opposition towards getting their friend to Jesus. But they push past the opposition. And I just say this very clearly. For many of us, y'all, it's not easy to bring people to Jesus. Some of you, it is so hard and awkward, myself included. I am one of the worst people in the world to go in and share my faith. When we go to LSU and we pass out the bags, I feel like the most awkward kid on the block. Like I, I struggle. Like people think passing out a bag is easier. To me, it's the scariest thing is to walk up someone with a bag. Like I'm scared. But through that ministry, I went and I went in faith, and God gave me an opportunity to meet somebody that God has given me a relationship with them for over a year. 
over a year and a half. And I just tell this to you, it's not easy to, to be a gospel, a person who has concern, action-oriented, who's truly living out, sharing your faith in the gospel with Jesus Christ. You will face opposition. Some of that opposition may be even your own desire. I don't have time for that. I don't have time for what I was left to do. I've got time for a lot of other things, but I don't have a time for ministering what God left me to minister. It may be time. It may be a lot of other things in our life. It may be that I don't have, I don't have the energy. I don't have this. I don't have the strength. And I would just ask the question, like, if, if that's the case, we should probably reevaluate where are, where are our priorities here? This is the, this is the call of Jesus. And so you see this determination where they do not let anything stop them. They're willing to work hard. And even today, right, what we, what we really want is this is what we want in, in, in sharing our faith is we want to go share our faith with someone and they get saved like this. That's what we're all hoping for, right? We're all hoping for just like boom, boom, boom. And then you come back to Sunday and like, I got 10 people saved this week. What'd you do? Like, we all want that. But the reality is, you know, it's probably going to happen. It's probably not going to happen. What's probably going to happen is you're going to meet somebody that works with you and you're going to live your faith out. You're going to stand for truth. You're going to share your faith for two or three years. And maybe one day, because you were faithful and determined, you push back opposition when maybe they rejected or things were awkward or things were strange. Because you continue to push forward, they finally said, I want to follow Jesus. I've watched you for two years. I've watched you for three years. That's actually usually how it happens. I would actually probably say majority of people in this room, that was your biblical experience to conversion. Or that was your experience to conversion. Unless you probably grew up in the church, maybe you were raised like me in the church and you came to faith early. But for the most part, it's usually not just, for the most part, it's usually just not a snap of the finger. I shared the gospel one time and I got saved and now I got a belt buckle of it. It's usually us being faithful, determined people that say, I see the state of my friend, I'm concerned for them, and I'm determined to help them get to Jesus. Despite the opposition, despite it may come my way. I was, uh, as I was pondering and just praying through this thought, um, there was a time in my life, um, few years, not a few years ago, I think it's like a decade ago now, but a decade ago or so, I was in the young adults here at the church, and um, we used to take trips to Tunica Hills. I don't know if the current group ever does that anymore, but we used to take groups uh, to Tunica Hills and go hiking. And in one particular instance, we went hiking. It was a beautiful day, and there was a good-sized group of us. And if you know, y'all all know Tunica Hills is? It's about an hour from here. It's a beautiful place with waterfalls. It's a great place. It's fun. It's like the only thing that's close to a, a mountain or a hill that this area of the state has. Um, but it, it's actually near Mississippi. But anyway, we would claim it. And it's a beautiful place. But you go, and we were going down, and we, we started the hike, and we were going down into the riverbeds, just where the creeks are. Everybody loves hanging out in there. And so we were going down, and as, as we were on our way down the hill slash mountain, um, we came across another group. And this other group was uh, a college ministry from Southeastern. And they were there, and we saw them, and they had a girl in a wheelchair who was paralyzed. Um, and I, and I remember saying, that's a bad idea. Like, I have no idea what you're doing. Um, but she was paralyzed from the waist down and, and they were bringing her down the steps and trying to get her down all the way down this hill and into the, into the riverbed and all this stuff. It's way down there and it's quite a hike. And we kept going, we passed by them and we just thought, wow, that's an interesting thing to try to do. Um, and so we had our fun, we had our good time and we came back up and we were on our way back up and it started to rain and storm really bad. It was getting really, really bad, and it was thundering and lightning, and the rain was coming down, and it got really wet, and it got muddy, and people were slipping and all those things. And as we were on our way up, we so happened to come across them again. 
And on the way up, they were struggling. They didn't have anybody in the group that was really uh, a strong person. Um, they were really struggling to get up this, this muddy hill slash mountain at the time. And I remember me and Matt Abood and the group were walking together and we walked past them and we just, after a few minutes, me and Matt turned and we said, we need, we need to go help them. We need to go help them. So we went back down and we went and we decided that uh, they, they couldn't do it. They were like, we don't know what to do. We have no idea. And me and Matt said, we will carry her. And I remember me and Matt took, we, we, it was about 30 minutes of going back and forth. We would take turns carrying this paralyzed girl up this mountain and multiple times we would slip and fall into the mud. And I can remember as I was carrying her, I was trying not to fall. And I remember one particular time I was on this uphill, this climb and I fell and I, I fell into the mud, but I was able to catch her where she didn't. And I just remember, I remember thinking, this is really hard. This is a really hard thing to do. She can't help at all. Right. There was nothing she could really do to help, but I was doing everything in my power to do it. And, you know, it's kind of funny. My whole life I always said I worked out so that I could do this. And so in that moment, I was thinking, this is what I work out for once in a lifetime. Right. I was like, this is why I train. And I remember thinking that and I think this is exactly why I do it. But the truth is, I was thinking about that picture and I was just laughing because I was like, what a picture of what we're called to do with the lost. You can't they can't they, they can't step. They're spiritually dead in every way. And Jesus sends us into the world to carry paralytic people to him. And it's hard, and you're going to slip. And I remember I slipped, and I got in the mud, and she didn't. You may slip, and you may get all muddy. And you may have awkward moments. You may find it difficult, and you may not find it natural. But this is the picture of what we're called to do. And I can remember in that moment when I said, this is why I work out, there was like this deep, like, satisfaction almost. Yes. I feel like I'm doing what I'm supposed to do with why I work out. And I think that's the same when you begin to become a soul winner for Jesus, somebody who's sharing your faith and sharing the gospel with the broken and the spiritually paralytic people. There's something in you that says, I'm doing what I was supposed to do. And it gives you great joy and it gives you great peace and it gives you great excitement. Doesn't mean it's easy, but it does. Like that wasn't easy carrying that girl at all, but it was thrilling. And there's, and, and, and the, just because, you know, it's difficult to share our faith, you may find as you do it more and more and you step out in faith, you may find that this is what I was left to do. This is, this is good. It's hard. It's awkward. Or we, we, we face awkward. But this is what I was left to do. And I have such a joy in doing it. And so I just think about these men and I see, I see their determination to bring their friend to Jesus or their determination that they had. And I just think, what kind of resolve do we have to bring the lost? Especially when they push back on you. Especially when they're so, they have just been absolutely, in every way, rude and ugly to you. What kind of resolve do we have to help them? Right? And so I asked that question for us. What is the resolve that we have in our heart? What sort of determination do we have? Jesus had determination. Did he not? He lived a whole entire life for the sake of bringing us to the Father. That's some determination. And so I, I get you, could, we could say, well, that sounds so difficult. G Peter says that Jesus is an example to follow. And if Jesus lived with such determination to bring lost men to the Father, ought we not to follow that? Now, will we be perfect in it? No. Will we be more awkward than Jesus? Absolutely. Right? But that doesn't mean that, it, well, that's not my task. It is all our task in here today. To say, Jesus, I'll follow you as you were determined. Jesus said in Hebrews, right? He talked about, or it says in Hebrews how he looked, right? For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Quite an opposition to things that he had to face. But he was willing to do it. 
The fourth and final thing that I see or observation in this passage that I just think is important for us to bring out is where they brought him. They brought him to the feet of Jesus. Very simple, right? They didn't bring him to religion. They didn't bring him to morality. And they didn't even bring him to the church in a sense. And sometimes that's what we do, right? It's like, let's get him to, let's get him to Pastor Lee. Let's get him to Jeff or somebody, right? Um, but the truth is, they brought him to Jesus. And there has to be a determination in us not to just bring our friend to do whatever, but to really bring him to the only one who can actually make a difference. Remember, this person was hopeless, helpless, paralyzed, spiritually dead, needed sins forgiven, all of these sort of things. Nothing could help this person. No person, no holy person, no religion, no church, no morality. The only one that could help him was Jesus. And that's the same with our, our, our friends, right? Who are we bringing our friends to? We're bringing them to Jesus. And who is Jesus? He's the Savior. He's the King of kings, the Son of God, the Son of man, Redeemer, Creator, Bread of life, Water of life, Good Shepherd, the truth, the way, the life, the true high priest, the prophet of God. He's the advocate, the author and finisher of our faith, the Lamb of God, the bridegroom, the rock, the strong tower. He is all of these things and many more in the New Testament and the Old Testament. So where do we bring anybody? To Jesus. We can't bring them to ourselves. We can't do it. We can't save them. But we're called to be the arms and hands and feet of Jesus. But ultimately, we lay him at the feet of Jesus, right? They tore the roof open. They put him down where, I think it's Mark, that says in the midst of Jesus at his feet, they put him right there in front of Jesus. And I think when we think about that, we have to say we're bringing him to the one that has the only hope, not religion. And when we do that, we have to trust Jesus with the results. Jesus, I trust you. I'm not going to, because we do find ourselves doing this sometimes. I'm going to get you to say this. I'm going to get you saved. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And the truth is, like, what we really sometimes do is we end up we, so badly because we want them to know Jesus. Maybe we kind of mess with the situation and almost manipulate people into a decision. I've seen it done before. I've been guilty of it, right? But the truth is, is what all we can do is get them to the feet of Jesus where he's the one who really deals with a person's heart. He's it. I have a friend of mine who, for the last year and a half, we've been in communication. We've spent time together. We've um, done hobbies together. He's come to my house. He's met my family. He's spent a lot of time with me, and I've spent a lot of time with him. We've, he's not born again. We've gone through some of the Bible together. We've gone through the Gospels. We've read the Gospel of Mark. We've done all of these things. And the whole time, I remember just thinking, like, at certain points in this period, it's like, oh, man, I wish this was quicker. I wish this would happen. And, and I was thinking, and there was... I can't deny that there was temptations and moments where I was like, I could probably get him to, to say the sinner's prayer and he's saved, right? But the reality was is that he was not ready. And I had to just walk in faith and just say, Jesus, I trust you with the results. I'm doing everything I know to do. I'm determined. I'll, I'll, I'll sacrifice this time. I'll do these things. I'll, I'll, I'll walk through the gospel with him. I'll do everything. I, but uh, Jesus, I trust you that you will save him. I'm doing all that I know. And guys, this is the kind of thing we have to have. It's Jesus who saves. And so we trust our, the results with Jesus. We bring the people that we, that we love and that we're concerned about and the people that are separated from God, not to religion, not to even ourselves, and not even to us trying to convince them to do something, but simply to, for them to see who Jesus is. And as they see Jesus, let God change them. Let God do such a work in them and lead them. And so I want to close with a, just a picture of this. And so... Joe, if you'd get your, your men together, um, and the youth group, if you could come forward. I asked them to do this. Wesley, Wesley's going to be Jesus for us. 
Let's see who Joe got. I just entrusted him and said, get three capable men. So you can bring him in, Chris. So youth group, I want you to clog this middle for us. And I'm going to come down there. Y'all are clogging it pretty good. Wesley, on the stage, please. And I want you to see this. So this is our friend. If you can look back here, his name is Randy Rescue. He works for the Zachary Fire Department. All right, Chris, you're good. He's 180 pounds of dead weight. Yeah. So this man, right, not that he's a real man, but let's just pretend for the sake of, t- sake of our conversation today and our, our, the word today is that this man is somebody like the picture we see in the parable or the story, right? Who's dead. There's nothing this, this, this body can do, right? He, he, can't, he can't lift his arm. He can't lift his leg. And this is the picture of how many spiritually dead people are. They can't do anything to help themselves. Don't worry about that, Joe. They can't do anything to help themselves. And so there's this dead person who's spiritually dead and separated from God. And the church is called to be the answer. The church is called to bring them to Jesus. So what do we do? We begin to build a relationship. We put ourselves in their lives. And Joe begins to try to get this man to Jesus where Wesley might be. Joe might not have the strength. He's doing the best he can. Well, he's, that's an interesting way to try, Joe. Um... <laughs> Joe's dragging him. He's doing everything he can. Josh is going to start helping him. And then the next thing you know, okay, you can stand up, Joe, and and pull a little bit. All right. Drake and Joey start joining in with him. And what you see is you see the picture of the body of Christ that said, I'm going to help somebody come to Jesus. Now, let me ask you, men, pause, keep holding them. Is this easy? Is it easy? You can talk. You got the heavy end. Do you have a heavy end? No. Is this difficult? Yeah, it's not light. Bringing people to Jesus is not easy. All right, let's keep going, right? And then you come and then things start happening. You're trying to share your faith with you. You're trying to get them and gosh, this is difficult. And you find the opposition, the horrible youth group in this moment, right? (laughs) They are incredible. They're in the way. And what do these men begin to do? Are you determined? Are you going to let this, do you want your friend to Jesus? You start pushing through the crowd, right? And you do whatever it takes. The opposition. In this story, we see the opposition where they could not get to Jesus, but they pushed whatever way they could. They tore the roof. you got to get on the stage with them. And you bring them to Wesley, who's Jesus. And you know what? They lay him down. Well, you can lay him down, buddy. You're good. And you know what they don't do in the story? They don't tell Jesus, you have to do this. And you have to do this. They just trust Jesus with it. And Jesus forgives the man's sins. And in the story, Jesus does heal him. But Jesus takes care of the situation. But what you see is you see a picture of the church. What I love about the story, too, is I've been talking to you all about it in, an, in an individual way. But I want to say also, it's a corporate thing. We do this together. Some of you find yourselves in the same hobbies and you find yourselves in the same place. And you have an opportunity to band together with believers in Christ to carry someone to Jesus. to Help them come to know Jesus. Those who play on the same sports teams, those who uh, find themselves doing the, maybe in the same workplace, whatever it might be. This is an opportunity for you to band together with the body of Christ for Jesus and bring lost people to him and trust Jesus with everything. And so you can drag this body off the stage because I think it would be kind of awkward during the altar time to have it here. <laughs> so we'll take the body off. You, you can step down. Thank you all so much. Thank you, Wesley. And I want to close with one final thought. And musicians, you can come up. It's easy, huh? It's not easy. But it's the call of God in church. That's what I just, I, I pray that you see this. The call of God is taking him away from Jesus. 
The call of God is for you and I to bring helpless people to Christ. This is why you're left here. I'm not, I'm, again, I know the excuse. I know, I know the challenges of it. I'm not denying the difficulty in this. I'm not denying all of it. We have to see the severity of our friend's conditions. We have to have a biblical concern that's moved by action. And we have to truly have a determination because it's difficult work. But it is what we're called to. And we have to trust him to the feet of Jesus. But here's what I want to say. Because everybody in here knows this, right? Right? Don't you all know we're supposed to be this? I think everybody in here knows this. But here's what I want to point out. The last thing about the passage is this. is When you look at this passage... Jesus says to the man, and, and he says, man, he, or he looks at the man, right? And he looks at the friends, and this is what he says. Your, your sins are forgiven. And, but why does he say it? He says it because he saw their faith. You all know what I'm telling you today. And I don't want to beat you up. Do it. So Monday, when you get out of here, you better go find somebody to share. Nope. I'm not telling you to do that. It's faith that drives us. It's faith that drove these men to do something. The action wasn't just because they had some super strength or something. The concern wasn't just because it was because of faith. Biblical faith is what drives us. Biblical faith is always action-oriented. James teaches us this. And Pastor Lee has preached on that for many years. That true faith is something that moves us and pushes us into this. And so when you look at this story, what you see is you see their faith is why they did what they did. And Jesus said, because of your faith, this man is forgiven. And I just say to you, I don't want to speak to you to say, pull your bootstraps up and get out and go share your faith. What I want you to say today is, God, help my faith. Strengthen my faith. I'm convicted I realize my sin. I realize that maybe I have not been a a guy who says, I'll bring a friend. What you need today is not for me to take a a whip and start hitting you to get out there. Get out there, church, you guys. Come on. Don't you know we got to get out the four walls? Yeah, we all know that. But what we need today is God to strengthen and increase our faith. And to such a degree, we will move out and we will be a friend who brings a friend to Jesus. By faith, we do this. The Spirit of God speaks to faith. He doesn't speak to your flesh. He can't communicate with flesh. He doesn't communicate with your flesh. Your flesh is it's no good to Him. He communicates to your spirit. He speaks to your faith and He strengthens your faith. And so my prayer is this, guys, can we be people of faith? Can we be people of faith? Not people of legalism, but people of faith. I was reading this and I just love these quotes by Charles Spurgeon. And he says this, I would sooner bring one sinner to Jesus Christ than unravel all the mysteries of the divine word for salvation is the one thing we are to live for. Let's listen to that. Man, I dig into the Bible a lot of times. I want to know all the nooks and crannies, but I love this quote. It's like, I'd rather bring one sinner to Jesus than know all the mysteries of the Bible. Now, that's not to say the mysteries of the Bible are something we shouldn't pursue, but if we're left here with the task to bring the lost. Mark 16 says that to preach the gospel and the forgiveness of sins to all creatures everywhere. And this is true. He says in another place, he says, if sinners will be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our bodies. And if they will perish, let them perish with our arms about their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, 
at least let it be filled with the teeth of our exertions, our energy. And let no one go there unwarned and unprayed for. And I just just pray for us and I ask guys, please hear my heart today. I'm not I don't want to come across as this bashing person. I just I want to speak to our faith and believe that God would help us to be the people that say, We'll bring a friend. But it does take it takes an, uh, us to say yes to God, right? We have to hear him. We have to say yes to him. And some of you maybe even can do this together as a group, like the story has. Work together with friends for the glory of the gospel and for the glory of Jesus Christ.